Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Project Shadow. My name is Charlie. You might know me better as sci-fi fantasy writer C.E. Dorset, and today I would like to have a chat with you about fantasy races. And yeah, this is something I've been thinking about probably way too much, especially since I've been doing my own world building for the over the last couple years. And it is a topic that I don't see being addressed in a very candid way. And I want to talk about this fairly, you know, openly and I don't want to say generically, but with a broad view to fantasy fiction as a whole. I, I am a huge fan of epic fantasy, second world fantasy, whatever you want to call it. And high fantasy sometimes. Um, and one of the most obvious features of this type of fiction is the numerous fantasy races that populate the worlds. And we're familiar with all the different types. I mean, they're, they're the standards. The elves, the dwarves, the orcs, goblins, gnomes, fill in the blank. And... I don't feel comfortable with a lot of the ways that they are depicted. So, okay, so I am a huge fan of J.R.R. Tolkien's mythos, his entire everything, not just The Lord of the Rings, but The Silmarillion, The Lost Tales, and what have you. And one of the things that has always kind of bothered me in his fiction is that um, whiteness is goodness and darkness is badness. And this becomes very problematic in the sense that when you look at the races of men, as they are referred to, yeah, the uh, Darker-skinned peoples are the servants of Sauron, and the lighter-skinned peoples are the good guys who save the day. And I, I don't want to ascribe any kind of overt racism to this way of thinking, mainly because this is a man who grew up at the tail end of the British Empire, and while... It would be unfair to say that he didn't have any, you know, problematic views where race was concerned. You can really see the narrative of the, you know, British nobles versus everyone in the world. And this, this is gloriously problematic in his fiction. But I don't really, that, that's not entirely what I want to talk about. It's that the various, and you have to start with Tolkien, because the various fantasy races that we have today are all related somehow 
back to the Lord of the Rings books because while fantasy fiction existed before and Tolkien himself referring to these stories as fairy stories would say that it was in the tradition of the fantasy, the legends and fairy stories that had preceded him. There is a change in literary genre that comes about and the creation of the fantasy genre with the publication of The Hobbit and later The Lord of the Rings. And one of the things that this has given rise to is this idea of the racial stereotypes. If I ask you what an elf is, you'll have a fairly good idea. Like they're one with nature and they're probably kind of snooty and they're fair skinned and probably tall. If I ask you what a dwarf is, you will probably tell me that they're greedy and they're short and they're bearded and they live in the ground in caves and in underground cities. That's not necessarily an issue, but the fact that there isn't a lot of diversity in the way that we portray these groups of people even in modern fiction, that's where it can veer into the extremely problematic. Because in a lot of fantasy fiction, it's easy for the author, and I can say this as an author, to try to come up with a stereotype of what is the average person from this region like. And that's handy in your writing, because if you have to introduce a new character, which sometimes happens, sometimes they'll just pop out of the blue in a scene that you're writing, knowing some of the basics about their culture and their heritage will give you some basic ideas of what you can do with them. So, for example, in my in my fiction, knowing whether a character is from, you know, Yingxiao or Kishan or Sawyer or Golin or Sahir or one of the other you know, Ashkelon, one of the other places around, that tells me a bit about them. And yes, it will tell me some stereotypical things for all of the people there. For example, most of the people in Ashkelon are amazed by rivers and lakes because Ashkelon is very dry and is a desert climate. So they see, they will often see water as very precious and be fascinated by it in large quantities. Now, that's something that's okay for a large group to have as a characteristic because of where they live. You know, the people in Golan, for the most part, live in jungle and forest where there's a lot of rivers and lakes. You know, Golan literally means the lake land, the, you know, the river land. So, uh, that, that makes some sense in how to understand those characters and how they will interact. The more problematic aspects that come in are saying, you know, all dwarves are greedy. Well, are are all dwarves greedy? You can see Star Trek playing around with this in that they did a very similar thing with the Ferengi. The Ferengi are all greedy and are entranced by the idea of profit. And so most of the Ferengi characters that we meet are definitely in that vein. But one of the more interesting aspects of the series is when we 
get introduced to Nog and his father, Rom, who are not like that. I mean, Rom has a certain understanding for profit, but he defines profit also as learning and camaraderie. So the information that he's gathering is a form of profit, and it's not just about garnering wealth. And Rom doesn't seem, you know, 100% interested in just getting a large treasure chest that he can hug at night and go look at how wealthy I am. And I bring Star Trek up because one of the things that they did with this idea is they made it part of their culture, their religion, and how everything works. You know, when going into a government building, they literally have to put money into a till to talk to anybody. And of course, their view of the afterlife is the grand treasurer who will weigh their profits over their life and determine whether or not they get, you know, they, they will then be allowed to bid on their next life because the Ferengi believe in reincarnation. That works better for me because it is baked into their culture. You can see it in how their government is basically run like a large business and more like a cartel than it is like a government per se. You can see it in their religion. You can see it in their culture. You can see how it all works in. So having this be an artifact of their culture that with a culture that is predominantly focused on capitalist profit, that will produce people that have a preponderance of greedy intent. That's different from simply saying they're all greedy. They're just greedy by nature. It's what they are. Because I I think when you get reductive like that, it can distract from the ability to create characters that are more interesting, that are more nuanced, and that have more depth. And that's one of the reasons why I went to Star Trek for an example, mainly because I while thinking about this, I had a very difficult time thinking about a good fantasy example. Though, picking up from yesterday's episode, we could talk about Troll Hunter, which shows trolls of various stripes, from the intellectual to, you know, the hedonistic to the war-hungry, you know. There are people of all stripes, and we see them as a population with a set culture that unites them, but variant personality types within it. And that's more or less what I'm talking about here. When we ascribe a singular personality type to an entire group of people, the larger that group is, the more problematic it is to try to get everyone of that type to fit into that stereotype that we're making. So, Were we to talk about the Iron Bank of Bravos, we might be able to say that everybody who works for that bank has a certain type of personality. Or if we were to talk about the House of Black and White, same thing, because these are smaller institutions. When we start talking about how everyone from this kingdom or that kingdom is this certain way, well, that's where you have problems. Yes, the Dothraki are a warrior culture, and yes, they would probably be much more 
prone to being violent and hostile because of the nature of their life and their, their ability to be challenged at any time to fight and die. But when we look at actual warrior cultures that did exist in history, such as, you know, the Huns, or if we look at the Mongols, we see Genghis himself had a strong interest in religion and poetry and language and would often invite people to recite poetry and play music. He was fascinated by music. And so we see a very different side to what could be a very stereotypical warlord. And we see this in his children as well. So when we try, one of the things that I think we as fantasy writers need to be very careful about is that we are not ascribing a personality type to a culture. There can be certain artifacts that make the culture what it is that will favor certain types of activity more than others, but that doesn't mean that everyone will ascribe to those beliefs. For example, I live in the United States and we are a capitalist culture. We exist in a democratic republic as far as our form of government. And it's a very textual-based government. In other words, the text of the Constitution is what everyone in government swears allegiance to. They don't swear allegiance to the people, but to the ideals. That does not mean that every American has that same high view of the text of the Constitution or the text of any agreement, for that matter. That's merely a fact a factor that goes into our government and how our government functions. It also doesn't mean that everyone in our country and culture is obsessed with capitalist profit. Those are there because it's hard to exist in this country without having at least some capitalist instinct because, well, you have to make money to find a place to live and put food on your table and whatnot. But it does not override your personality and in a lot of fantasy fiction it tends to override the personality yes you can say that this culture may have a tendency to be more greedy but justify that back that up and in so doing deepen the world itself now Tolkien the reason I say Tolkien gets both the blame and gets some outs for some of this is why and how the various groups were created in the first place. The elves know that they were the firstborn of creation. They lived in Valinor with the Valar and, you know, in the shadow of Eru Luvatar himself. And so there is a history there and an ancientness to them in that they live for hundreds, if not thousands of years, most of the characters that we've met. So there is a certain amount of arrogance that you can expect in those characters. The dwarves were created in the rock and, well, were given life after their creator threatened to destroy them because he feel felt that he had wronged Iluvatar, Eru Iluvatar by making them. But Eru Luvatar gave them life instead. 
You see, so you can see how they were born in the mountains. So, of course, dwarves live in the mountains. You, you can see some of this in the orcs and the goblins were created by Morgoth and were twisted and demented into being what they are. So, of course, they're going to have a crueler demeanor because they're not a naturally existing group of people. They were created through torture and have lived as servants of not one but two dark lords throughout their history. So, yes, there's some things there that we can see to justify this. But, at the same time, we have to be very careful not to make them all the same. We'll pick this up after the break. And we're back. Okay, so before the break... I was talking about how we have to be very careful not to ascribe the same personality type to every race within a fictional setting. I think that this becomes even more problematic when we are dealing with something like the works of George R. R. Martin. And I, I don't want to get into this with too too much detail because I don't want people to think I don't want any of you to think that I'm going after him specifically as a writer but there is because most of what we know about the lore of his world is written in world there is a tendency for the writers of those stories the characters within the setting that are writing those texts to have a fairly racist mindset towards others and thus that gets baked into the setting and that gets baked into the world so we hear about some people who are very docile and good slave material. And that becomes, I think, truly problematic. Because, yes, we can try to justify all of these things by calling in historical examples of how people of that time period, this story being very medieval in its style and writing, so you could try to make an argument that, yes, in the Middle Ages, people would have thought that way. But as I've said often on this show, when you are constructing a universe, you're not bound by world, by, by Terran world history. You're not bound by what actually happened here. So by having that brash racism baked into the cake, as you will, it does tend to normalize and in a certain to a certain degree excuse the racist tendencies of the characters and the audience members who are reading the text and again i am not trying to call george R. R. martin racist or anything of that manner or say that his books are you know racist and bad and thus shouldn't be read i'm just saying this is something that we as writers need to be thinking about when we are constructing our texts and when we are constructing our worlds to make sure that we are not inadvertently feeding tendencies that we would not want to feed in the first place. And I, I do understand a certain love for a certain type of fiction and wanting it to be represented in your stories. You know, as I've said a lot I'm a huge fan of Chinese wuxia and jianxia fiction, and I bake a lot of those ideas into my own setting because that's a type of fiction that I really enjoy both reading and watching. 
but I have to be careful not to create caricatures of those Chinese characters or to do it in such a way that I am saying, for example, that violence is the only solution to every problem. Violence is something that happens in, in a world with a very strong martial arts um, aspect to it, like the stories that I write. It is something that is prone to happen. It is apt to happen. But it is incumbent upon me as a writer to make sure that every story is not simply about, oh, we have an argument, let's fight it out. Because in so doing, I am inadvertently saying that violence is the only solution to every problem. So that's something that we really need to be careful about. It's also a very different thing. This is something that has bugged me in the works of you know the world of, of the world of ice and fire, um, a song of ice and fire. Is that when you're dealing with Tolkien, we can talk about the differences between the races because for the most part, we are actually talking about different species or very close to different species. Even when we talk about the races of men, there are very distinctly two types of people because, you know, Tolkien was a monarch monarchist. And so all of the Kings are descendants of the people of Numenor and thus have these amazingly long lifespans and are, you know, heroic by nature. They're almost Greek demigods by the nature of, you know, how they are constructed. And so they are different from the other people that they meet. But an elf was a separate creation. With the exception actually, exception actually of the hobbits, most of the forces that we see aligned with the good guys were all created separately. And so are very different biologically one from another. Hobbits are actually a uh, naturally occurring variant of man, if you read the stories. Um, they're not a separate creation unto themselves. They're just a, they're people who settled in the Shire and over time became shorter and developed specific characteristics like the hairy feet and what have you. The dwarves, on the other hand, were created as dwarves. And this isn't just a creation myth. The Valar and the Maiar are actual characters in the story. I mean, the Balrogs are fallen Maiar and Sauron himself is a fallen Maiar. Not to even get into Morgoth and the others. These are the angels, the spirits. The, you know, the Valar themselves are essentially gods and Morgoth himself was one of them. So, you know, it's not merely a creation story to say that that's how they came about. That's literally how they came about. So we can discuss the differences in biology that these different races or peoples actually have because they are different. They are literally biologically distinct and with very few exceptions are unable to intermingle with each other and produce offspring. So that gives us some wiggle room there to make some of these biological biologically determinate distinctions that we want to with these fantasy races. 
But when you're talking about humans, again, I think this is where the whole thing falls apart. The idea that there is a noble class, a literal breed of blue bloods. And I'm not saying that if you cut Aragorn, he literally breed, you know, bleed blue. But, you know, that there is a biological distinction between the nobility and the peasant classes of people. That is something that Tolkien very much believed in and something that the stories very much validate, but that does have problematic characteristics when trying to bring it into a modern setting. Now, what I don't want any of you to think is that I'm trying to spoil the fun here. I think magical races and are one of the great things about fantasy fiction and science fiction as well. The idea of being able to explore these very different cultures with very different biologies that, you know, creates different challenges for them and often will affect their mindset in different ways. That's beautiful. That's wonderful. And that's something to be applauded and something that we should celebrate and something that I do in my own fiction. It's just when we are ascribing way too much to biological determinism I think that's a problem in all of our fiction, especially when it comes to this idea of a fantasy or sci-fi race, but so much is ascribed to biological determinism when we're not looking at factors such as, you know, how was somebody raised, what opportunities did they have, you know, in growing up, those all do affect how a person develops and what skill sets and personality traits they will end up having. And that's more of the richness that, you know, I'm seeing in more modern science fiction and fantasy more and more, where people are taking those thoughts and those ideas into effect. And I'm not sure how much of an ongoing problem this will be in the future. I am concerned because there are a lot of Tolkien knockoff fictions that I do read, and they really do double down on the biological determinism of race, and that all the people from X, Y, and Z are like this, that, and the other thing. Culture can be determinative, determinative of a lot. Biology does make a difference when we're when we're figuring out what a character is actually going to be like and what characteristics they will be prone to having but it is equally if not more important for us to bear in mind that each character needs to be approached from an individualistic perspective so that they aren't the one peaceful klingon or the one Ferengi that's not interested in profit because yeah that can make for an interesting character and of course any character that goes counter to the prevailing culture of their society is interesting by nature and we're still going to get characters like that but doubling down on that every one will have a core set of characteristics that is both believable and not. You know, you could say that all humans embrace the idea of freedom because we, for the most part, don't like being told what to do. 
Yeah, that's, again, for the most part true, but dictatorships in various countries have lasted for extremely long periods of time, and as long as you have enough autonomy, that isn't going to get triggered in you. So that's not necessarily a trait that you can ascribe to all humans. And yeah, curiosity is something that is fairly innate in us. And so something that could be ascribed to most people, at least initially in childhood for some people, it gets beaten out of them throughout their lives for various reasons and by various circumstances. So the very fact that I find it difficult to come up with a set of core human characteristics of what makes a human being actually a human that we all share other than, you know, a capacity for love, for a capacity for freedom. We all have a capacity for reason and passion and what have you, those very basic things. I, I don't see this idea that all humans are prone to greed or are prone to being power hungry or what have you that very often gets ascribed to all people in a ver in various you know various ethnic groups in fantasy and fiction and science fiction I, I don't see that in real life and again it can be used as a stereotype and subverting that stereotype can be a good thing in fiction it's just something to be very mindful of. I've been, you know, watching a lot of lore videos for a lot of different settings that I'm interested in and following a lot of podcasts that do the same. And I have just been noticing this repeated drum note of all the people of this race are like this and all the people of this race are like that. And all the people of this race are like this. And uh, I just, I had to say something because I think we have to be more mindful of how we are portraying the people that we write about. And again, this isn't necessarily because I think that we're being racist. I just think that a lot of it comes down to we are robbing ourselves as creators and our audiences of a vi more vibrant world when you don't know exactly how a particular person is going to react because, well every one of that species behaves in this specific way. You're robbing some of the surprise and I think we can, I think we can do better. <laughs> I hope you like this episode. This is just something that's been weighing on me for a little bit. And especially while I've been constructing my own fantasy races for my Ash Dancer setting, it's something I've been thinking about a lot because, you know, Distinguishing between culture and what's innate is something that I think makes for a very interesting way of viewing characters as you're working on them. Anywho, if you've enjoyed this show and the app that you're listening to me on allows you to rate either this episode or the podcast in general, please do that. That helps me out a lot. That tells the app to the algorithm to share me with more people. If you've got a buck that you can throw my way, depending on the app, there'll either be a button that says support or in the show notes, you'll see a link that says support on anchor. If you click that, you can give uh, $1, $5 or $10 levels 
that's a month that money does help me out a lot to keep this content coming for you and if you don't have the money or you just don't feel like giving that's fine um but consider sharing me with somebody that you think would like this podcast that helps out immensely especially now that we have sponsors that helps out a lot if you have any questions or comments or topics that you'd like me to discuss on the show, I highly recommend that you go to anchor.fm and download the Anchor app. Follow me, Project Shadow, on there, and you'll see a little button that says voice message. If you click that, you can leave me up to a one-minute message. Keep it clean. It can be a question, a comment, or a topic you want me to discuss on the show. And who knows? I might actually use it on the show. I've actually done episodes that way in the past, and I've really enjoyed it. So please feel free to do that. If you want to find links to my social media and everything that I do, go to projectshadow.com. Twitter is probably the best place to find me. I'm CE Dorset on Twitter. And yeah, be uh, mindful. The uh, stories will be coming out soon. The Mask of the God series will be starting not too far in the future. So very excited about that. And until next time, I'm Charlie. And don't forget, have the fun. Bye.